Hello and welcome to Leading Change. This is a quick fire interview with James Lancaster, who is the chairman of the Urban Mobility Partnership. James will be giving us an overview of the Urban Mobility Partnership, what its aims are, and what the goal is for the future. James, thanks for joining us on the Leading Change podcast. I'm excited to hear more about the Urban Mobility Partnership. Um, who, who are UMP, as I know it's called for short, and um, what is it? That's a good question. So the Urban Mobility Partnership, mostly now known as UMP, um, was set up about six years ago, and it was a recognition um, that government had bold ambitions around changing transport behaviour to achieve their environmental policy objectives. But the transport sector hadn't really ever come together. It often operated in silos. And now I know that we have sector-specific uh, sector and modal-specific trade associations. What we had never done before was bring together operators from all different types of modes to really come up with policy ideas that could be implemented in the next one to five years that would help government on their bold ambitions that would take 25 to 30 years to deliver. So we set it up with the large bus company Stagecoach in 2017. Um, and it was really a meeting of minds where we both agreed that we were all speaking to government independently, and that could be locally or nationally, but the sector very rarely ever came together. So we decided to come together and work on practical policies that could be implemented quickly and aligned with those much longer term ambitions that government had. And the membership grew and grew and continues to grow now where we have Conduent on board. We have Brompton Bike Hire. We have DOT. We have Lift Tango. We have the legal firm for Anstey and many others who have joined the organization as it's continued to grow. But I want to give you an example of where this really sort of had an impact and came into effect. So when we first established this, it was when the government were working with local authorities on introducing clean air zones. Now, clean air zones, very ambitious, big change in terms of removing high polluting older vehicles from our cities. But there were some challenges that it was going to present to businesses, but also people who owned those older and high polluting vehicles. Because in some cases, if you were going to introduce a charge of £10 per day that you took a high-polluting older vehicle into a city, then that could be a real challenge for some low-income households where their vehicle isn't worth an awful lot of money and they're getting charged even more money than someone in a newer, cleaner vehicle to drive that vehicle in a clean air zone. So we developed a policy paper initially, which was based on mobility credits. And this was something that was uh, created in collaboration with all the members. And what it suggested to government was that they could introduce a mobility credit scheme where those lower income households that may be more adversely impacted by clean air zone charging could switch out of their car and be given credits to spend on sustainable forms of mobility, which includes bike share, public transport and um, car share as well, as this would give them a suite of options that could genuinely replace that private car 
but also remove some of the financial pressures they would face from um, things like zonal charging were it to be introduced. Now, that was initially a policy paper with some transport modeling that we did to look at the environmental benefit. But what that turned into is a live and active scheme that took place in Coventry, where they made that available for local residents. So that's that's one example. And that's probably the first thing we ever worked as at, as a collective. And I think showed us that actually government at a national level were incredibly appreciative to see the industry getting on with it, supporting what they wanted to achieve at a, at a national level by introducing policy ideas that worked for businesses and the communities that we serve. And then I think the other one, which we did a lot of work with, was the creation of the future transport zones. So advocating government to create funding pots that could be spent on mobility hubs, could be spent on mobility credits, and also on the deployment of mobility as a service in local areas. And we've now seen some of those schemes already go live. And then I guess just to wrap up in a rather long-winded way, um, three of the big achievements we've had. I think the third one, and this is where we took a bit of a different tack and it's slightly more recent, is we produced um, a, a corporate travel paper for businesses to advise them on how they should manage travel in their organization. And that can be anywhere from how people get to work, but also their own business travel. So how employees travel when they're working for, the, for, for that organization. And we did this because we recognized that businesses were going to face far more extensive ESG requirements and would have to make significant commitments to reduce their overall direct and indirect emissions. So we produced uh, a plan for businesses with, with guidance on how they could today start reducing the amount of emissions they're producing as a business through business travel. And I think the key kind of flagship concept from that uh, was by sort of bringing an end to mileage reimbursement in organizations, which is where companies are paying people to drive their own cars that, that are typically older and high polluting and creating a, a model that incentivizes the use of the private car. And, we, and we've suggested a switch away from that to incentivize the use of shared travel. And that, that report has gained a lot of traction with businesses. We've also taken it to government. Um, and I think it's something we'll continue to work on over the next couple of years and evolve as the sort of pressures that business face to improve in that area. Yeah, that, that leads on really nicely, Jed. I mean, you, you've answered all my questions um, before I'd asked them, which was perfect, um, <laughs> which made hosting duties so much easier and lighter for me. Um, but that that would lead nicely on to what are the future uh, goals for UMP? Is there, what are the, the key three things that we're we're hoping to focus on? The three key things we're hoping to focus on as the Urban Mobility Partnership um, would be we are going to start doing similar work in Europe now. So working with local authorities and national government on developing those policy concepts that help with the sort of national policy objectives. And I think that's really exciting because every country is different with their own unique challenges. But many of our members who operate in those other countries want to kind of take this uh, organization and this approach to other countries where they operate, where we can be that supporting partner of, of government. Um, number two, I think, is going to be to increase the focus on um, what the future of multimodality needs to look like. So coming up with more policy concepts that support that shift away from someone using one mode, in particular the private car, 
to making it more attractive to use multiple modes. And that might be looking at things like the future of taxation to enable growth in that area. Because currently, the Department for Transport and um, Treasury, they're not always aligned. We, we, we still have quite archaic tax around uh, shared mobility, uh, whereas DFT have bold ambitions around what they would like to do. And I think number three, for from my perspective, is expanding the membership so we get a greater representation of different sectors. And that can be anything from accessibility to mobility to the EV charging needed to deliver some of the shared services that we need and the infrastructure around housing and um, large-scale developments where mobility is going to be really important. So I think for me, the three are expanding into Europe and having a greater influence. Number two um, would be increasing the, the multimodal travel through policy interventions. And then the third one is, is, is getting greater breadth of membership to recognize that transport isn't just about the operators. It's about the businesses and communities that, that we serve as well. Fantastic. So if I was a business that fell into um, one of those categories that could contribute, how would I join the Urban Mobility Partnership? Well, hopefully when you send this podcast out, it can include my email address and I can put, get them in touch with Tendo, who are our excellent secretariat that run the organisation. But the best thing would be to, to, to reach out to me and um, I could put them in touch with the team that run it um, because this is really a priority area for us. And I think it's not a case, just to, just to add to that really, that it's not a case of just taking on any business. Uh, we are like-minded organisations with the same vision and that want to be supportive of government. We're not here to block government policies. We're not here to do it as a PR exercise. We want to deploy projects. We want policy that helps our businesses, but also government as well. So like-minded businesses that share that sort of value as well. Fantastic. Yeah, I absolutely will add your contact details, James, which you might come to later regret um, alongside <laughs> alongside the uh, details of the Urban Mobility Partnership, um, which can be found also on the on UMPT's website, as well as the Parking Live website as well. Great. Fantastic. Well, I think that is covered a, a very uh, in-depth an in-depth introduction into the Urban Mobility Partnership. And I am, for one, very much more in the clear as to what the coalition and what the what the collective uh, does and what it looks to do in the future. So thank you so much, James, for, for joining us. Well, thank you, Jade. Hopefully in 10 minutes, we've, we, we've managed to cover everything that we needed to.